Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Your Dose, where we speak to individuals with lived mental health experiences to hopefully make people feel less alone and more connected. And today we are speaking with couple Jake and Emily. Jake discusses his experience with antisocial personality disorder, homelessness, and how acting and writing have helped him manage his disorder. Emily discusses OCD and some of the unsettling themes she has experienced, such as harm towards others. We delve into the challenges of building a relationship while dealing with two very different mental health issues and how they manage to overcome these obstacles. Together, they have founded Antisocial Theatre, which aims to decrease the stigma around less frequently discussed mental health disorders. I really hope you enjoy this episode and thank you so much for listening. Hi guys, so we have Emily and Jake here today. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you both? I'm thank Very you. Very well. I'm good. A fellow northerner or northerners, which yeah. is nice. Or northerners. Absolutely. <laughs> and you're in Manchester at the moment. Yes, we're in Salford, Manchester, just just outside. Yeah. And how long have you been in Manchester now? Two years. Coming up two years, yeah, in September. Yeah. And you enjoy it? It's great, yeah. I love it, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, there's literally so many bars and restaurants and music events in Manchester, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's Um, brilliant. Very good place. Um, So thank you so much for being on the podcast, first of all. It's so nice to meet you both. As always, I think one of the best questions to start off with would be to learn obviously I've never had a couple on the podcast before so that's really interesting um but maybe individually to just explain to the listeners exactly what it is that you experience from a mental health perspective mm-hmm. and then we can sort of deep dive from there so you guys can choose to, who goes first, we'll go first. yeah I, I can go first <laughs> okay yeah so I suffer with antisocial personality disorder um, and also traits of borderline personality disorder. Um, I received my official diagnosis back in 2020, but this is something I've been suffering with probably all my life. Um, and essentially, it's probably uh, it's a set, it's part of a cluster of disorders now known as cluster B personality disorders. Um, and antisocial personality disorder or ASPD um, gets a pretty bad rap because of. Um, the sort of the, the the diagnostic criteria associated with it. Um, so people, the the most informal name that you will hear associated with it is the word sociopath. That's the typical really sort of term that you that people use. It's usually used in sort of a derogatory um, and an unofficial term to to describe people with ASPD. Um, but essentially, um, it exists on a spectrum. So there is people who are at the severe end of the spectrum, you know, people that are in and out of prison, really violent criminals, that does exist. And that's something that I do try and portray on, on, our, on our page, Antisocial Theatre, which is where we talk about all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Because I think you need to be transparent if you're talking about these kinds of things. Um, but essentially, it's in. I'm sort of sat in the middle, like it's a bit more mundane, like I suffer with um, like a, a lack of empathy uh, and that kind of thing. So... So I'm able to, um, cognitive empathy is something I have quite a lot of, so I'm, I'm able to understand why someone may feel a certain way, but I struggle with affective or emotional empathy, so I might not, I can't, I can't feel what they feel, so. I just, so, if, so, sorry, just to ask you a question then, so 
if Emily was came to you and she'd had a really bad day and she said that she was upset and she explained the situation, you would you would be able to respond in the right way, but you wouldn't get it. Is that it, right? I'm, I'm a bit confused. Yeah, I'm, yeah that's, that's pretty much correct. Yeah, so it's like um, I'm able to understand why someone feels a certain way and I'm able to act compassionately. Um, right, that's interesting. But I'm not able to feel the same thing, typically, so... Because isn't that slightly similar to autism in the way that au- the autistic people can't sh- show empathy is that not is that not similar yeah. i mean people do draw similarities with things like yeah. autism um so yeah i suppose i suppose i can see sort of a correlation there but um there's a lot more to aspd in the package that sort of separates it from things like autism like um well i i don't want to say it sounds bad but like being manipulative being irritable yeah. being impulsive substance abuse disorder that's uh, often you know paired with it um things like homicide homicidal ideation that kind of thing so it's, it's a really dark disorder to deal with but it's a lot of it's internalized so you, you hear the term and you typically think of somebody going around and beating people up or smashing windows in um and yeah. I, I, that does exist in some in some people with it um but for me it's 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 more like a, a very lonely lifestyle with not many friends. Um, it's a, also a, dis, uh, um, a disorder birthed from trauma. So a lot of it comes from I was abused quite heavily as a child and through my um, upbringing um, in school as well. Like I was homeless at 16, so I was constantly surrounded by violence and like having to survive. Um, and I suppose that's where like the BPD traits come in, like being hyper vigilant of, of you know violence and having yeah. to get away, but also longing for like a connection that I'm not able to feel. It's like a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest. I've never, I, I, I am, I'm shocked because I've never heard of this disorder before, which is surprising because I've been to university and studied psychology and I've never, ever heard of this personality disorder. So I'm really intrigued to just, whilst we're, we're with you, Jake, to just yeah. dive a little bit deeper into this, if that's okay. Sure. And then we'll move to Emily. Um, so there's a few things, really. So you mentioned that you, um, this is this is a fact you got diagnosed how many years ago it was back in 2020 i received my official diagnosis not that long ago really so how was how were you typically affected up until then like what were the main symptoms that you experienced yeah so the main symptoms for me that um so when it sort of reached its peak between the ages of like 16 and probably like 19 um and I say reached its peak as in that's when I was at the worst point of my life. So I was, again, I was homeless. Um, so my family had kicked me out. Um, I had nowhere to go. I was eating from food banks. So I, um, the people that I were involved with were also very damaged people. Um, mm. So my, my symptoms, um, one of the biggest symptoms that I still struggle with today, um, but even more so back then was anger and rage. And I don't mean like, being a bit irritable i mean like rage like i was angry at the world that everything like was i hated everything absolutely everything that walked in my path so i would be i'd obviously abuse things like like certain drugs and uh, drink as well and then i'd hang around with the wrong people and we would probably you know we'd be pretty violent to people together like you'd sort you sort of 
you, f- you like to feed off each other. Yeah. Um, I think what's what's that term? Phileo dough or something? Yeah. Like like a shared madness. I think that means so you 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 so you like I fed off this person. This person fed off me, and we were just you know we hated the world together. So we would be violent to other people, and um, and we started to get like a sense of like power from it. Um, probably to fill in the void that was we, we were powerless in our own lives. So you sort of take it out on everybody else. Um, and I was ready to do some pretty heinous things back then. Um, and I did get, in, I did get in trouble with the police. Um, um, and that kind of sort of woke me up a little bit. Like, yeah, I don't really want to be going down that path. Um, so I just, eventually I moved away from this person and then those people became a little bit more socially isolated. Um, and the the symptoms, certain symptoms sort of diminish with age anyway, in, in a lot of the, in, in you know, in this case but um the certain symptoms that i still really struggle with today like irritability aggression rage um the lack of empathy that'll probably always be there till the day i die um but it, yeah it's um it's it's like it's it was more of a problem for other people back in that at that point you know um but at the same time like it, on paper it's like oh it was just a criminal or, or it was you know but um a lot of these things were all also internalized. Like I've also experienced like suicidal thoughts. Um, I tried to, I tried to commit suicide when I was, when I was homeless at one point. Um, so there's been a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's not, again, you hear the term sociopath and people think people start using people, people's names like Ted Bundy and all these, you know, people who watch a couple of crime dramas and they think they know everything about everything. Um, yeah. And that's the whole reason we started antisocial theatre was to get the 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 word Which out that stigmatisation, yeah, exactly. It's and it's people. There's a lot of people around you that will probably struggle with similar things, like borderline personality. I'm sure you've heard of. It's part of the yeah. same cluster. It's the same cluster of personality disorders. It's just so there is overlapping symptoms. It's just slightly different, of course. So, yeah. So, thank you for that. That was really interesting. Um, if you feel comfortable talking about one of the topics that you just mentioned, so I'm intrigued a little bit about, because obviously you were homeless and you were clearly in a, like a really, really bad place, bad crowd. And it's very easy. It would be very easy for you still to be in that. Mm. So what was like the turning point and what was the point of, obviously you said that you attempted suicide whilst homeless. Why, like, was there, what was it that stopped you going through that? Was it just unsuccessful or was there something that made that not happen? And also in terms of like the homeless side of things, what was, what was the turning point? Was it the police or was it something else? Um, yeah. Um, so with, with the suicide, it was like, it was, if I'm completely honest, it was probably a lack of education on how to do it because you don't learn how to do those things. Um, but yeah, I'd just basically taken like loads of sachets of paracetamol while I was yeah. drinking and I ended up just vomiting it out anyway. So, um, but I was in, I was in such a state where I was like, I was really like, I, was like, I really wanted to do it. It was like, and it, like yeah, yeah. something just clicked and I was like, I just need to get out of here. And I just yeah. did it. But um, I don't, I, I, again, I'm not medically trained, so I don't even know if that would have worked anyway, but it was the mindset. It was that I'm ready to yeah, do that's this. What you think, don't you? Like take take a load of pills and and yeah. that'll hopefully work. Yeah. So back to the question of like the coming out of the homelessness. Yeah. 
was it the incident with the police that was the turning point? So the so the turning point, as in to get me away from this person to stop doing these things, was the police. As in, like, I, I thought to myself, so just for a bit of background, as I mentioned, my dad was extremely abusive. Um, yeah. He went to prison um, for some really heinous acts. Um um, and I ended up getting out really early, by the way. So that's the justice system for you. But um, mm. so I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be him. Like I was the reason I'm like this in the first place. And I was like that. I was a spitting image of him. Like I, I didn't want to become like him. And I think that moment when I was sat in the, the cell and I just thought, I can't do this. I can't be like him because I'm just as bad. <laughs> I'm just as bad as him. Like if I do this. So the symptoms didn't change. Nothing really changed. But my perspective on where I wanted yeah. to be completely shifted. So at that point, um, I sort of, I say, I sort of patched things up with my family at the time, um, very loosely. I moved in, I moved back in with them for a short period of time because um, there was some guilt there on their side, um, apparently. Um, and eventually I got my own place through the homeless hostel that I was sort of under. They helped me, mm. they're called Rush House in Rotherham. Shout out to them, they really helped me out. Um, yeah. They got me out of this situation. They they got me a, a bed set um, in Rotherham, so I managed to get out of that. Um, and eventually, a few years later, move obviously moved to Manchester. So I eventually got away from all of it, all the bad stuff. And still, what amazes me is this whole time you had no idea that you were dealing with quite serious mental health issue, and so you were you were dealing with all of this whilst not having a diagnosis is that is that correct yeah well yeah semi-correct so so like I've been in and out of therapy already since I was probably around 13 so even way before okay. this I was I was um because I lived with well um yeah just for a bit of uh just to clear it up a little bit I realized I've not been entirely clear so when I was around when I was 16 I was living in Rotherham um yeah and I was living with um before I was homeless I was living with my mum and my stepdad um, who we really didn't get along and there was some violence things out there as well but before that like many many years prior um, we was living in Blackpool um, and it was just my mum and my two brothers my two older brothers mm. um, and we were sort of dealing with the aftermath at that point from a court case because of my dad and the stuff he'd done to us when we were younger and things like that um, yeah and then obviously we moved over to to sort of um to Manchester and, England, and sorry to to Rotherham yeah um but yeah the I was I was spoken to about things so there's there's something mm. before antisocial personality disorder called conduct disorder so that's like that's something that gets picked upon in childhood typically before the age of like 15 16 um and even my mum today would tell me these things and I think oh my god that makes so much sense um, and she was telling me that when I was younger, that I was violent to all the children in like nursery things. Like that. And I'd be like, you know, I'd be knocking the beans out or pulling the hair and bending the fingers back. I'd just be nasty. Like, really? Because I'd obviously, yeah. I'd obviously picked that up from the like the, the house that I was living in. Um, so I did have an inkling as to what was going on. And I actually did a dissertation. I, I'm, I did acting at college um, and I managed to fit in like a psychology point of view for my um, dissertation. And I did study personality disorders and that's what made me think this I could have this um and then it was co collaborated later on that you went that you decided to do that 
um as a was there any reason why you decided to do the personality disorders at the time because were you you weren't fully aware that that's what you were experiencing so i had an i had an inkling that this is yeah this okay is, so this is probably the most likely thing that's that fits everything that's been happening in my life at this point yeah. the only thing that really fit um and funnily enough it came from hearing the term sociopath and psychopath i heard those terms used at me many times over the years and i thought maybe there's some truth to that and then you, you google those terms and you realize it's associated with antisocial personality disorder you start reading and i was thinking oh my god this is just me i'm reading all these stories and all these symptoms and i was thinking this is just me um and when yeah. i spoke to the clinical psychiatrist um i gave her a bit of a background in my history all that kind of stuff and they, obviously they have your things on file anyway um and she she corroborated the diagnosis corroborated everything that i'd said and everything i'd done um so it was i actually i gained a bit of like i was like almost too self-aware like it's a bit of a, i said this on a previous podcast it's a blessing and a curse to be so self-aware because it's mm -hmm. like you know what's going on but you don't know how to change it because you can't really stop it from happening you can yeah. just minimize the the outcome so since the diagnosis has your life changed in any way i would say so yeah and for the positive because um i got my diagnosis like a year or so into antisocial theater so like a year into the project of raising awareness about controversial mental health topics um so that really i feel like that really gave me a footing like a real like talking point and a real um because like i said i thought this is what i could have um and then a suit and i became really educated on the topic and then as soon as i got that diagnosis i, I felt like yeah right okay I i've got that confirmation now that i'm not just making things up and i'm not just thinking things that aren't there i've got this confirmation yeah, yeah. from a psychiatrist and now i can go on and tell other people in the world that you know you're not destined to be in jail you're not destined to be this and that and you can do good that. things despite receiving that diagnosis like it's not everything that you are so that's amazing that's really amazing. Um, I have a lot more things to ask you, but I appreciate that Emily's been sat there <laughs> and she might want to speak. Um, but thank you, Jake. That's honest. I, I find that so interesting. I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but <laughs> it, it is in, an interesting um, story in a way. Like I've never, like I said, I've never heard of that disorder before. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this won't have heard of it. And so what you're doing is incredible. Being an advocate for your disorder and making people just changing the stigma around it. Yeah. Um, you know, you might, I'm sure narcissism is something that's probably a term that's, that's thrown around in a similar way within yeah. that, within that disorder. So um, yeah, very interesting. Thank you. So moving on to Emily now, what, what exactly is it that, that is your experience? Um, so I've, for as long as I can remember, I've had problems with my mental health um, from a very young age, actually. I started off, I don't know how old I would have been, but um, I started off with emetophobia, so it was a phobia of being sick, um, and I was quite young when that happened. Um, I, I can just remember being afraid of like being sick and other people being sick for as long as I can remember. Um, so I was in and out of therapy when I was younger for it, but mm -hmm. therapy when you're younger... It's kind of, I don't know, it wasn't very helpful for me. It was sort of a, you'll grow out of it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that didn't happen. And then I remember I was 13, I think, at school. Um, 
and I started to get therapy from an actual therapist because I think I'd visited the doctors and it was still I was unable to do anything out of my routine um, because I thought that anything out of my routine would result in me being sick or me getting like a sickness bug that was like my main worries and concerns so I started therapy for that um, and then halfway through therapy for the emetophobia I remember I was sat in a, at a family party one day um, and I just got this intrusive thought this really horrible intrusive thought that I was a murderer um, and that I wanted to harm people and I had no idea what was going on obviously like being 14 at the time when that happened yeah. it's quite a scary thing to go through um, so I sort of pushed it away and kept trying to just brush it under the carpet I didn't want to think of it kind of thing um, and then I started to develop really bad intrusive thoughts, quite violent intrusive thoughts about my family members, um, you know, people that were really close to me. And it became really debilitating in that instance. So I remember discussing it with my mum. Um, and it turns out that my sister suffers with the same sort of thing. Oh, um, wow. And that's when I realised that I had OCD. Um, yeah. And obviously my sister has OCD as well. Um, so that is something that I am suffering with at the minute. I think I've probably suffered with it longer than I thought. I feel like the emetophobia was also partly OCD as well. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I did a podcast recently um, with a girl and she also had the emetophobia, which I've never heard of before. Yeah. And she also has OCD. Um, and the question around that is, what? When was it? when did it get to a point where you got help did your parents start to notice it I'm assuming or what happened yeah, so I think when I was younger I was sick a lot um just like vomiting a lot and I think my mum told me that she was really concerned about that because she didn't think it was normal so obviously yeah. I went and had checks done at the doctors and nothing came back and I think they just did put it down to anxiety so I've always been an anxious child and this must have been when I was a toddler um but I remember when I was about six years old I just couldn't stay at my grandparents' house. Like, it was sort of like a little ritual for us. Every week we'd stay at one or the other grandparents' house, either on my mum's side or the dad's side. Um, and I just couldn't do that because if I did that, I was sick. And obviously that, you know what, like, phobias, as soon as you start engaging that behaviour, it just builds on top of each other, so you start avoiding it. Um, so that was one mm. of the things that I'd avoid. And then that turned into not even being able to go out anywhere on the weekends. That was outside of my routine. Um, just being afraid to go out anywhere to stay at anyone's houses so to go to like friends birthday parties obviously like when you're a child and I think I remember like my mum would have to like almost drag me out of the house to make me go to like my grandparents or make me go to a child's birthday party like my best friend's birthdays um, because I'd just be like it'd be unbearable to be like to go I'd be fine when I got there but it was that build-up of having to go um, and yeah. I think that's when my mum sort of realised there wasn't something quite right. So that's when I went to the doctors and got my first bit of therapy, which wasn't too helpful at the time. So in terms of, um, obviously, a question, you kind of just partly answered my question. So I was going to ask how did it affect you when it came to those events where you had to do things? And you mentioned that you were fine when you were there. Mm -hmm. But what sort of behaviours would you be engaging with before you got there? Do you but remember? It would literally be like running away from my mum and dad, like hiding, not wanting to go. Um, I'd be crying. I'd cry to the point where I would actually throw up, which would then build on that behaviour again. Um, yeah. And it would just be like immense amounts of anxiety. 
um, it, it got to the point where I think I developed some form of like separation anxiety towards my mum because any time that she'd go out I'd start to feel panicky and sick as well um, so it was like not being able to go outside my mum I wouldn't like my mum going out either um, and then I think I would start to develop that compulsive behaviour so avoidance which is something that I do now with my OCD so I think maybe that's where it stems from um, yeah you kind of get that, what's the word, like reassurance from the compulsions with my emetophobia. And I also mm. got that with my OCD as well. So I think it just sort of intertwines there. Oh, intertwines, yeah. So the so the the thoughts of like the violent thoughts mm-hmm. started at around four, 14? 14, I think I was, yeah. I remember the date. It was like something switched in my brain and I've never been the same since. Really? Um, yeah, and it's just so, it was so scary at the time because obviously you're 14 years old, you shouldn't, well, you wouldn't have those thoughts usually. And I just had no idea about it. So I didn't want to speak to anyone about it because I was scared that I was going to go to jail or scared that I'd be um, like put into a hospital. Um, just scared of obviously people saying things to me because it's not normal to have those thoughts, like really violent, intrusive thoughts that you can't even control. You know, I couldn't go to sleep at night because the thoughts would just come in. I couldn't eat anything. And then obviously my stomach would just be a mess because I wasn't eating. And I remember there was a brief period where I was just in bed all the time, not able to get up. Um, It was just constant, like, from the minute, like, I woke up in the morning, these intrusive thoughts would start and I couldn't even sleep to get away from them. So for a long time after that, I think it was maybe a year or two after that, I'd have to sleep with the TV on and put it on a timer just because some noise in the background would drown out those thoughts. Oh, my God. And and at that point, did were your parents aware, I'm assuming, of what was going on? Yeah. My mum's my mom, my always been so supportive, and my dad as well. And obviously, my That's sister so having good. those thoughts, really, we help each other out still today. Um, and they were really supportive, but obviously, there's only so much that you can do for someone because OCD is it's torturous, really. Like, there's just no escape from it until you start going to therapy, which I did. I did have a little bit of therapy when I was about 16, 17 in college, but I was still really scared to talk about the thoughts. So I'd sort of try and numb the thoughts, dull the thoughts down so they didn't sound as bad so I could get help without actually getting help. Um, But then when I actually did go to therapy when I was 20, 21, I think, only a few years ago, um, that's when I actually received proper help for my OCD and I actually started to be able to overcome it I think yeah live life in fairly normal way in terms of the um so was there any other like OCD themes that you experienced aside from the the violent thoughts yeah so there was the the violent thoughts um like there's always the sexual thoughts as well that people get which is I think one of the hardest ones to deal with um we talk a little bit about that I know it's I know it's a bit of a a weird yeah. topic to discuss, but we've I've actually never had that. I've had lots of people with OCD, yeah. but we've never touched on that. So if you feel comfortable, yeah. So it's it's a tough one, really. I think a lot of it is, especially like in a past relationship. Sorry to talk about that, but especially in like a past relationship, one of the things that I would get would be like a relationship OCD, and it's the fear that you'd cheated on your partner, which is a really right. horrible thing to go through, obviously because it's always sort of attacks your morals um yeah it always attacks your morals so it's those sexual thoughts like intrusive thoughts that you don't want to have um worried that you'd actually like cheated on your partner like actually done it and 
like sort of having false memories that that had happened when it hadn't um and it's just like you sort of become a little bit it's it's just hard to know what reality is and what's not i think that's when you know that you're in sort of the bad stage with your ocd is when you don't really know what is yeah. real and what isn't but it's i think not, that's yeah. one of the hardest ones to deal with because yeah. it, again that also is a violent thought it stems from like the violence of things um, you know, worrying that you've like maybe abused someone. That's something which <clears throat> I don't really talk about because I find it so hard to talk about still. Um, and obviously I think there's a massive stigma around that. Um, mm. Especially like, I think I've been in like OCD forums before and people have tried to talk about their sexual OCD um, and the, like, like abuse theme in OCD. And a lot of people infiltrate them comments and say awful things to them, um, which is very triggering for someone with OCD. And yeah, it's just, it's that lack of understanding. I think when you have that label, OCD, it's just completely different to what it actually is. And I think because yeah. people don't know that, that's when, I think that's when it's so damaging for someone with OCD. Yeah, because I think the biggest thing is like, people just assume that people with OCD are really clean. Yeah, like that's and the main thing goes to. And it's so far away from that. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, the compulsions that you would have associated with that what are some examples that you might so when, I, when I first started it was a really weird ritual that I'd have so I'd have to clean behind my nails five times every night and um, but then it would start to get worse it'd be five times I'd have to do the whole thing five times it'd be yeah. touching certain things in my room or making sure that something in my room is in a specific place not because I want it to be neat and tidy but because if I don't I'll end up like harming my family or hurting someone that I really love. Um, all these yeah. intrusive thoughts will come back. There's also the mental compulsions people call them, and that's confession. So confession is a big one of mine. Um, and it's one that I've always struggled with because to other people it might seem like you're just talking about um your OCD, but it's the confession, it's the non-stop talking about it. Reassurance seeking is another one. Um, rumination, so it's just going over the same thing over and over again and sort of torturing mm -hmm. yourself about it. Um, I think it's the mental compulsions that I deal with now more than the physical ones. I found the physical yeah. ones easier to deal with, I think, than the mental ones. So in terms of from the mental compulsion perspective, how do you manage that now on a daily basis? Obviously, it still affects you, but is there anything that you do to like mit mitigate the symptoms? Well, it's not engaging in it as much as possible. And as hard as that is, it's having to surround yourself with people that understand your OCD so obviously I let you know when I'm having issues with my OCD and you know not to give me reassurance regarding it. So you can talk to me about the OCD, but you won't interact in something that would be reassuring to me, saying, no, you haven't done that, or no, you won't do that. What um, would It would more be like, we're not talking about this. No, it would just be more like accepting it. Well, if you have done this bad thing in the past, you can't change that mm. now. So yeah. there's nothing that you can do. It's exposure therapy. Just... I was going to say that's exposure therapy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's talking about it and being supportive, which you're really good at and always there for me, but just not... A lot of the time I've had, had, I've had friends before where I think they just sort of give you reassurance because it's an easy thing to sort of shut you up, but it's not the best thing for someone with OCD. Mm. And I do understand mm. how tiring it is, but it's just surrounding yourself with people that understand what's good for your disorder and what isn't thank you for that um i think what might be good now is based on what we've just kind of been speaking about will be to talk a little bit about you two mm -hmm. and your relationship first of all how you met and then go into a little bit how you manage the relationship based on the fact that you've both got very different 
mental health issues. Yeah. So first question, how did you meet? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we both actually met at university. Um, oh. um, as I mentioned earlier, I was studying um, acting, um, like, like theatre acting. And Emily was doing videography. Um, so funnily enough, for one of the first pieces for antisocial theatre, where it all started, um, yeah. we needed a videographer to do oh. all the video stuff and then Emily came in and the rest is history <laughs> on that front essentially. Amazing I love that story we'll talk a little bit about antisocial theatre soon as well really yeah. intrigued to hear more about that sure. um, but from a relationship perspective has there been any like moments where you've really struggled and how did you overcome that? Yeah I would say mostly at the more towards the beginning of yeah. the relationship because um well to put it bluntly emily is more emotional and and i'm not like um yeah. but not not in the sense of so yeah and just to clear something up as well while we're on this topic is it's not that i cannot feel any emotion at all that's one of the biggest like misconceptions there is um it's just that it's it's a lot more dulled like a, a not a, you know a lot more sort of um yeah, it's not. It's like I can I can feel emotion. It's just not. It only goes to a certain point, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm only able you to feel love, right. You can you can love Emily, of course, so, you can. And, yeah. and, and so that's an emotion in itself. And exactly, love's exactly. Like one of the biggest emotions that you can feel. So I understand. It's just that you there's an, only a certain amount that you can understand in terms of what someone's going through. So you can feel that for some feel love for someone else but you can't really understand how they f feel does that yeah so of... it, yeah it's sort of yeah it's like it's actually like i didn't realize how complicated it is just like to explain <laughs> it. but it's like um it's essentially that i love in my own way is the way i describe it it's like like um it's everyone everyone and everyone even though even everyone who isn't disordered uh has their own way of obviously showing love and things like that but because i'm so emotionally sort of null and like everything's sort of dull for me um yeah. that um it I, it's like it's like my brain doesn't sort of allow me to ha enjoy things it doesn't allow me to have things without ruining it or you know yeah. sort of being aware like being wary of it um so so going back to your original question um yeah. because of that um Emily didn't really understand why I wasn't able to sort of facilitate the response that she she needed. Um, maybe you could sort of talk a bit about that. Yeah, so yeah. I think coming back to like the OCD side of things and the reassurance, because at one point before I received help, that was such a big thing for me. I think having someone that needs constant reassurance, but you not understanding maybe why they need that constant reassurance, I think that obviously puts a, a barrier in the way yeah um but it's just like when we first got together it's hard to understand because i'd never heard of antisocial personality disorder either and i'm sure yeah. you didn't really know much about the ocd side of things no. it's just sort of that getting to know each other's disorders as well but i think for me because i needed that reassurance maybe you couldn't give me that as much at the beginning yes yeah. we just sort of didn't understand each other but i think as well as that when for me especially when I have my OCD moments and my flare-ups I feel like I become quite selfish in the sense that I need the reassurance like because I just need to feel safe straight away and sometimes yeah. you don't understand that other people are going through their own disorders and you sort of become not intentionally but quite selfish and it's yeah. not understanding why 
you can't give me that right now. And it's not that there's anything wrong with me or there's anything wrong with you. It's just because we're different in the sense of our disorders, we just didn't understand each other just yet, Mm. I think is the best way to sort of put it on my side. And is there anything that you've done in particular to try and understand each other or has it just been like an overtime thing where you've naturally just learnt more about each other? Yeah, I think it's more of an overtime thing, as you said, like we've sort of developed and um, we've, I think me and the one thing that I would credit us for is we're really good at just talking about things as they are. Um, there is no, again, from my side, there's no sort of... Um, emotional response in terms of like I'm not going to get angry or I'm not going to just blow up if she says something that she thinks I might not like I'm, I'm quite good at just being like right okay and just taking it on the chin sort of thing yeah. you know? um, and because of that with Emily can basically say anything um, and also as well we've shared the darkest parts of our human like experience with each other you know things we haven't spoken about on in public settings that, and we've shared those with each other and only each other um, and with that comes a certain degree of trust and a certain development of a relationship in general. So I think it's just like a, yeah. I've learned, I, on my side, I've learned to trust because I trust basically nobody. So I've, the only person who I've learned to trust with those kinds of things is Emily. Um, and I think that's probably helped. Yeah, definitely. That's lovely. Um, another question for you, Jake, that I've been just thinking about since we spoke before was, around the anger side of things and you said that was something that like you really really struggled with and Mm. you still actually struggle with today has that ever like affected your relationship at all and if so how do you manage that um in terms of my actual aggression and anger i don't think that's something that's ever really held a barrier in between us um i think yeah, I don't, maybe towards the beginning when, again, I didn't really understand why she was yeah. saying. and Frustration ex- probably more than anything, that you yeah. couldn't understand it. Yeah, I think that's probably probably what it was. It was more frustration at the beginning. Um, but my, my aggression and rage, it come, it's, it's very specific. Um, okay. It's sort of like, um, I, think my, I think the more aware I've become, the more I realise it's to do with like insecurity than anything. Um, so when when you've gone through life being basically either physically abused or mentally abused by not only your family members that people that's supposed to look after you but the people who are meant you meant to be friends with at school and things like that once you could, when you're constantly being bombarded for like what I'm I'm 27 this month so like most of my life you start to become like very I don't know, like angry at everything and the world. So I think like mm. it's my anger is more of a response to other people, which is why I spend a lot of my time not with people. Um, so and Emily's never ever triggered that, to be honest. So which is good. Yeah, uh, it, it it comes from other people. I think like fe- feeling feeling like inferior, feeling less than someone else, or feeling, feeling like yeah. humiliated or talked down to. Yeah, that triggers me. But yeah, and I developed. I mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation I mentioned about something called homicidal ideation which okay. um, it's the opposite of being suicidal it's, it makes you think harmful thoughts about harming other people and mm-hmm. that's something that developed very early on in my childhood like I was probably around 10 11 years old when those thoughts came 
and they were terrifying when I was a kid. But it also made me feel a sense of control over the situations that were happening. I, I think it's the way I sort of contextualise it now I'm older is that it made, it made me feel in control in my head. Like when my dad was doing all those things, I thought to myself, basically, if I could kill him, he'd, he'd stop. Uh, yeah, I, yeah he'd that's stop. interesting. You know what I mean? And that carried over into my adulthood. You know, all these people would bully me and say things to me. And I just think, you know, if you weren't here anymore, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be so funny. That's yeah. I, it's it, it, it makes really, sense. It does make sense, but it really develops as I grow older into some really dark and horrible, heinous sort of thoughts and feelings. But the, it doesn't just come with thoughts; it comes with urges and with like the feelings. And it started to get extremely distressing. So the way I've dealt with it is I write. I have to get it out onto write. I have to write these things down into, and I turn them into like stories. Um, which Emily started to turn into short films, um, which is where antisocial theatre came along. So I don't know what where I would be if I didn't find that out there. If I'm completely honest, that's yeah. I mean, in terms so so in terms of managing anger now, you would say the number one thing is is through writing and then creating videos, which is the antisocial theatre side of things. That's I, really the number one management. I would say so. Like it's the one it's probably the one management system that I get the most from. Like I do the other things like I, I got into like MMA and things like that, which has been really helpful. That's but helpful, yeah. Yeah. But that didn't, that doesn't quite scratch the itch like mentally as much as writing these things out because you can't get, because you know, another thing I want to highlight on the, on this topic is yeah. throughout the mental health journey of that speaking to different people and seeing things, things like depression and anxiety of, um, are thankfully talk like spoken about a lot more which is great um and people speak speak a lot about like suicide especially with men and things like that um but one thing that gets very swept under the carpet in mental health is the other side you know mm. what what if i didn't feel suicidal what if i felt like the I'm other way what, what if i felt like yeah. killing everybody yeah like who do i go to who do i talk to without being judged because you know yeah. it's it's I think it's a pretty normal feeling, like in in terms of the human experience, we've all felt something similar. It's just that yeah. I think it probably more than the average person should. But I don't think I should be vilified just for thinking those things because I've obviously never done them because I'm sat here talking. Um, but mm. I just think I have yeah. to, and with my writing as well, there's no sort of limit. Like it, I can be as heinous as I want because it's as long as obviously I put it into like a story it's not form. Paper, it's not real, is it? So yeah. yeah. And it's it is a story as well. It's not just me rambling like things that I actually put it into a coherent narrative and people people really like it. I get a lot of messages. People say they love it. So it's obviously doing something for other people. That's amazing. Um another quick question before we move on to to learning a little bit more about antisocial theatre was personal question so you don't have to answer but how have you how is your relationship with your parents um like what is that like now because obviously I mean your dad abused you and mm. your mum seems like you speak to her now but but you were kicked out at a fairly young age yeah so yeah that's fine so basically yes yeah, so I'm a dad obviously uh he he was in jail for eight years for he actually we actually found out he, he was a sex offender as well on top of everything everything else that he'd done he was also a wow. pedophile as well um so yeah i i don't i i haven't seen him since that the court case god knows how many years ago um my stepdad 
who we moved in with, he at the time was struggling with some things as well, like alcohol and stuff, which manifested with for more trauma for me. We hated each other basically and it didn't go so well, which is the reason I got kicked out. Um and I always held some animosity towards my mother because of that. But I feel like you mm. let that happen to me twice now. Yeah. You you've, you've but obviously growing up, she's a woman and he's this this is big strong guy. Like what yeah. could, what could she have done? Obviously I know that growing up, but I, I do I do think I harbour that sort of I will never forgive thing for because I didn't have to be chucked out. Like she could have left him and she did leave him. She did leave him at one point, um, but she brought me back to him. So I just thought you've got rid of him. You've took me away from him because you thought it was like a, to keep me safe, but you then, you've then put me back in that situation and I can't afford to move out now. So I've got to stay with him. So I think I've always held that rage and sort of. So it's totally understandable. Yeah. I would feel like that. I do speak to her. We have a much better relationship now, don't we? We have a much we talk. I'm going to see her next weekend, actually. So we do have some sort of a relationship, but there is always that sort of underlying. Like you I have to cr- try when I'm there. Yeah, like when I when I'm no. there, I have to try really hard not to say something. Yeah, yeah, which is normal. And and for you, the most difficult part is it's your mom. Mm. So you want to have a relationship with her because she's your mom. But yeah. equally, and and the thing with parenthood is that they're trying to do the best with the tools that they have and they don't realize the effect that that then has on you mm-hmm. as a child in that really important ta- like period of development i mean abuse in childhood is like one of the biggest causes of mental health issues um from childhood in- into adulthood yeah so but i mean i guess your mom just probably turned a blind eye to it because she loved whoever she loved your dad probably the same with the stepdad situation i don't know and and ignored it and then it's obviously and now you're having to deal with all of those things as an adult so it's understandable i mean i yeah and obviously for anyone listening as well like i am aware that people in abuse settings um it isn't easy to just run away it isn't easy to just go and and that's the reason she may have gone back as well, out of fear. And obviously, yeah. people who do those kinds of things are usually very good at manipulating their way back into the situation. Absolutely, so, yeah. but when you're a kid and you're developing, you don't get that. You don't yeah. contextualize that. And that, and by that point, the damage in your brain has already been done. Yeah, it's quite hard to sort of change your mindset on that. Which I, I've, you know, I've done a lot of work. Like if we had this conversation a few years ago, it, there'd have been a lot more aggression coming out of my voice. But I've done a lot of work over the years to try and understand people a little bit more because quite frankly I've had to learn emotions from other people like when in social settings I've people like me I've, I've had to learn to what to say how to say things you know how to stand how to you know I need to smile at this point or else I'll come across this way like it's it's, it's really hard oh. otherwise otherwise I'd just be like, like I just wouldn't have any emotion because it's that is that something that's been done through just your own education or therapy? Uh, no learning how things like body language oh, and, how, and how to behave in those certain settings. Is so how have you learned those things? Probably just through like education, but it's more of a subconscious thing. Like people with ASPD and many other PDs actually is it's called it's called masking. A lot of people talk about it in yeah, loads, of other, loads of other different mental health disorders and things like that. Um, but masking is essentially the, one of the biggest things that people with ASPD do. Um, and it's essentially 
funnily enough, why it's not it's not why I got into acting, but it helps. And it's essentially you have to pretend everything is normal, whatever that is. Like, you know, um mm. so you naturally pick up how people talk, how people recall things, you know, how people engage with other people. Because one thing I the one thing I still really struggle with to the, to this yeah. day is to connect to another human being, like and have like a conversation about something that isn't about something like this. Like if I went out into a social situation and I hadn't touched a drop of alcohol, I would find it very hard to talk to that person. And that's just because I've not really ever learned how to do it. You know what I mean? So bits and bobs yeah. I've learned, obviously. Um, You're but... very good now. You're, well, yeah. you're not at this. Um, this is a it, topic I know a lot about. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you if you went through a lot of your life not having friends mm. and not having that um, communication with your parents, you don't. You just don't learn how to communicate, do you? So I, I can't yeah. imagine as an adult how. And and that's so. I mean, this question might move nicely onto the antisocial theatre because obviously communication is a huge part of like. You, gaining a a job or mm. a career and being in a career setting so how has that affected you there or are you a full-time actor like what do you do so in terms of um my job like I've experienced a lot of job loss over the years um yeah because of this, because of the irritability and the anger, and because and, I just don't care a lot of the time. And like when you, I come from a, the only sort of job you can get into, um, with my history, you know, between the ages of sixteen to nineteen, that's pretty much when you start developing skills to try and get a job, and you go to college and mm. university. That's and obviously that's when it was worse for me. So I didn't really develop those skills at the time. So I've, the only jobs I've been able to get into is like low level like call center jobs which is what from like from 16 onwards i was in and out of those jobs all the time because anyone who's listening to this who doesn't have aspd will know how like angry those jobs make you anyway but yeah for me particularly i do not i could not last in those jobs and i was there's loads of times where i've left jobs and i've had no money and i've had to be on the benefit system many times um but now uh, i work um in like an it's like a more of an admin position so i don't talk to customers it's just i don't talk to my colleagues i work from home i do my admin i barely speak to people i go home it's great i don't really speak to people but with antisocial yeah. theater um i think you're absolutely right i wouldn't be able to do it if i couldn't communicate in some sort of way um but most of like most of the content that we've produced thus far is either in the style of short films, so that's sort of my writing, doing the talking, um, yeah. or educational posts that people just sort of read. Um, but we're now, funnily enough, now we're branching out into the face-to-face, -face, you know, face-to-camera sort of stuff. Um, and I think things like this, like the podcast, helps me do that. It helps me sort of talk, because you'll notice that in my writing, I'm very clear and coherent about what I'm saying. This mm. is this, this means this, this is what the result is. But when I'm talking, I trip up a lot and I can't think properly. So this helps me build that. No, I think, in, in all honesty, I think you're amazing. And both of you are amazing. Like, but like, you haven't come across in any way like you're tripping up throughout this podcast. That's good. So, <laughs> um, which, which is great, obviously. It must be yeah. worth the other podcasts that you've done. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So antisocial theatre, obviously you've explained a little bit about about what it is, but what's is that, have you got like a, an overall mission or goal with the page? Yeah. So I would say, um, in brief, um, would would be to help sort of destigmatize um, controversial mental health topics, essentially. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. To, and to sort of de-vilify um, people with typically um, sensationalized mental health disorders. So, for example. ASPD again, very, uh, very, you know, uh, point. You mentioned narcissism at the beginning, yeah. Um, so that term is thrown around just because somebody doesn't like somebody, or um, mm. and narcissism refers to NPD or narcissistic personality disorder. So you know, and people just throw the term sociopath around, psychopath. You know, those yeah. are, none of those are the same things, by the way. Um, those are completely separate things. Um, and I think the goal is to help tell not just my story and Emily's story, but also other people's stories who suffer with yeah other through disorders. Film, is that is that what you're trying? Would it be through through film? Is that really like the that's end goal? We to well, that's what we want to do. Yeah, we originally yeah. started as, as theatre productions, but we I think we mentioned this in a video a few weeks ago. Yeah. During lockdown, because of the pandemic, we sort of had to go digital, um, and that's where we got the idea. So you do the monologues and write them. And then I create them into short films, and we find they're quite easily like like digested, I suppose, when people look at them through that. But now we've branched onto TikTok, and we're doing the face to face things. That's all. That I think people have more of a um, sort of a an emotional experience to things like um, <clears throat> music, poetry, art, yeah, art in general. Like we all listen to music, and you know. When we hear our favorite lyrics, we get that little tingle and things like yeah. that. Like, you, but like when somebody talks with words, it as in like describes the situation that they're going through. It doesn't yeah. hit, but when you see it in like when you watch a film, for example, like if I told mm -hmm. you, like the people who listen to this, they might hear the story about my abuse, for example, and think, "Oh, that's sad," but it doesn't really go past that. But if you watch a film about it, and you've got all the sounds and the and the sights, and you can see, feel, hear what's going on in this person's house or in this person's life, then it hits home. So it's a completely different yeah. experience. It's an immersive experience that you don't get when someone's just writing down their experiences on yeah, paper. I, I think it's a completely different experience. That's incredible. And you both work on this together outside of your full-time jobs. Yeah. Is that stressful? Or yeah. do you just, yeah. <laughs> stressful. I think well, it's just when you've had, when you've been working on work the week. And then you obviously you, you want to put the effort into this, but you might not have the time. But obviously it's like a passion of ours, so we do. Yeah, and we, we do enjoy we it. We do. We would love. We would love to do something like this full time. Like, I was going to say, what? How could? How do you think you could make this a full time job? Or is that still where you're trying to like find out how to monetize it? Yeah, I mean, we've had a conversation with a couple of uh, people. Um, there's actually some guy who you make may or may not have seen on TikTok called uh, Simon Squibb. He's like a millionaire. Um, and he stops people in the street and says, do you want to, would you start a business? I don't know if you've ever seen it, but um, he, run, he runs like an online thing called Help Bank. And it's where, where loads of people help people to start businesses. Anybody, like people can help them get into that industry. And I went on it actually and explained the idea and said, has anyone got any idea how we could make this into like a, 
a, a way of life basically and loads of people yeah. commented and just said obviously you can team up with other mental health foundations and do like events and that kind of stuff or That'd be good, wouldn't it? yeah you can do youtube you can do TikTok. yeah yeah like public speaking um there's someone called i think i think her name is ellie ellie mids she calls herself on linkedin but i think it's ellie middleton she speaks about adhd and autism um and, and her full-time income which she's talked about publicly online is literally public speaking um, um she writes i think she's written a book and done some other stuff now but she's ju it was just started by talking about her experience which yeah. is basically what we're doing so maybe one day something will happen well i hope so because you're both great people and thank you. Oh, thank incredible you. stories so um maybe you could write a joint book together thought, about writing the book yeah, but... that'd, be, that'd be interesting i think it's in, i think it's really interesting and it's really important to to come on as a couple and do this because a lot of people will come on on their own and like navigate so many people have mental health issues so the likelihood of you being in a relationship with someone who has suffered something in their life or who suffer with, suffers with a mental health issue today is way more likely than it is unlikely absolutely so so, so being able to come in here and talk about yes we both have these very different mental health issues but we've navigated our relationship and sorry and um and we're still together now after how many years that's about three years three years three years and you're also using your experiences to help other people and build something incredible so i think that's also a really important message from this podcast um but before we get to the end one of the questions that i always like to ask but i'll ask you both in the same question but answer individually is if there is somebody listening to this right now who is really struggling with a mental health issue maybe one that we've spoken about today or maybe one that we haven't what is the number one piece of advice that you would give them for me um i would say um specifically anybody suffering with um a controversial personality disorder a cluster b personality disorder um just because you hold that disorder it doesn't make you a monster it doesn't mean that you're destined to be in prison it doesn't mean that you're an evil person and mm. just because you suffer with low empathy that doesn't equate um to monstrous behavior and it doesn't mean you can't be compassionate to other people as well so that would be my message um, and i would probably say like in the aspect of ocd um to anyone that is struggling with it i know how scary it is and how tormenting it is towards you and it makes you think some really awful things that you wouldn't ever imagine you could think but no matter what you are thinking there is someone else out there that is going through the exact same thing and that's had the exact same thing before and if you want to reach out for help you can do that and there are places that will support you um, and people that will support you as well it's even though the disorder's not really spoken about enough in terms of what it actually is a lot of people do suffer with it and there is help out there that people can obviously you can go to people and talk about it amazing thank you so much for that both of you and in terms of ocd that there is ocd um information education all that sort of stuff on the antisocial theater page <laughs> is that right yeah yeah perfect well um if anybody is listening remember to go to antisocial theater i'll leave a link to your is it just instagram or do you have anything else that obviously the tiktok if you've got a website or anything 
and um, we're in the process of updating the website um but we have just started a linkedin where we're going to start putting the more like professional things that we've been doing on there yeah we've got um, youtube, YouTube and tiktok as well. as well yeah yeah amazing well i'll leave all the links um in the description for this podcast so anyone listening can go and check out the page um i've had a look myself and it's incredible and you've got an amazing engagement so i really do hope that that blows up and maybe becomes a business one day um, but thank you so much both for being on here. It's been so nice to speak to you and hopefully we can work together in the future um, yeah. one day. Thank you very much. Thank Helpful, you. Yeah. Hi guys. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you've enjoyed it and feel inspired by Jake and Emily's story. In particular, I hope that you see disorders such as antisocial personality disorder in a different light today after speaking to Jake. Thank you so, so much for everyone who continues to like, follow my Spotify and listens in every single week. I am overwhelmed with the support and can't believe how many people want to listen to me talk um, for nearly an hour for most of my episodes. Um, If you do like the Spotify podcast today or you enjoy listening to my podcast, please, please leave a review. Um, The more reviews that we get, the higher that we can show on Spotify, the more people this will reach and hopefully the more people will be able to feel less alone.